So hello, I'm Stuart. It's nice to meet you. I'm married to the amazing Dana J, who is behind there, and my two little kids are running around. Me and my family have been part of this community for about four years or so, and we are leaders in the community. Um, and I'm a joyful participant in today's sermon topic of stewardship. Um, my name obviously is Stuart, which comes from the root word steward, and so that's obviously why Chris asked me to speak on it. That's exactly why. There's literally no one in the church more qualified than to speak on stewardship. And there was a little bit of confusion actually at the beginning of this when he asked me to speak on stewardship. And I heard stewardship? 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 So I started putting together a deck that was kind of just like a practical Stewardship. This is my morning routine. <laughs> okay, so the next slide is for reals, stewardship, what we're actually talking about. Um, I like to start by kind of defining the terms so we know what we're getting into. And I wanted to define discipline as Christian, Krish, Krish, as Christian. When you're nervous, your mouth doesn't obey your brain. So I'm going to settle in, we're in the first five minutes, we're going to be probably full of mistakes, but it's okay. As Chris mentioned, it, that we are stepping into a series on the spiritual disciplines. We are doing Practicing the Way, which is uh, quite a long investment in our communities investing in practicing the spiritual disciplines. I am super, super excited for us as a community because we are getting to glean from the immense hard work of many other people who have for years and years and years invested and poured themselves out to understanding this and packaging it in a way that we can process. And I'm super stoked that we do it as a community because I'm a person that's not naturally inclined towards discipline. It's hard for me. I'm a four on the Enneagram. I'm highly emotional. I'm reactive. I like to live responsive. I do not like plans. I do not like strategies. And I really do not like discipline. So I'm really excited that we're all in this together and it gives me, actually, I stand a chance. In um, asking John Mark, um, who's part of and behind the Practicing the Way content, what's the point in spiritual disciplines? Can you summarize it for me? He said this, spiritual disciplines are how we do, there's a spelling mistake there, sorry, do what we can, open our mind and our body to God's spirit, so that he can do what we cannot, transform us into people pervaded by love like Jesus. Super excited. Stewardship. So, outside of reading in the Bible and maybe talking to your church friends, the only other place that I really come across the word steward is like an air steward who walks down the aisle and hands out nuts and cocktails. And that's not necessarily what God is calling us to, although that's great if that's what you do. It's hard to make a terrible steward because I'm way too large for airplanes. Spunking <laughs> everyone like, here's your cocktail, get your nuts! <laughs> type stewardship into Google or look it up in a dictionary, you'll find that the definition goes something like this. The conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. The word manager, I find a more helpful understanding of what's being spoken about as the, as the biblical principle of stewardship. And so, mentally we're going to swap steward with manager 
Because when you say to me, Stu, I'm hiring you as the manager, there's like a whole bunch of understanding that goes with that, right? I understand that there's responsibility. I understand that I'm probably going to be leading people. I'm probably going to be instructing others. I understand that I'm part of a chain. There's probably someone above me. There's probably someone below me. Managers are not at the end of the line. And so manager is a very helpful description for being a kingdom steward. Let's think about being a manager of God's resources. So let's start at the beginning. I like to go back to the garden with anything that we're looking at in Scripture. And in Genesis 1, 28, it says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. In Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. it sounds like management to me. And so we see right in the beginning, woven into the very fabric of our DNA as humans, is one task of management and stewardship. It's a core aspect of who we are created to be as we're made in God's image. Another thing to note about being a manager is that you are not the owner. When you are a manager, you are given someone else's property and you are entrusted to manage it. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The idea is that He owns it all. In Job 12, verse 10, it says, In His hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 17 to 18, it says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Oh C.S. Lewis said, every faculty that you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. Any wealth, power or strength, gift or talent that we have originated with God. And so there's this concept of his to own and ours to manage. And I think that just that point is powerful enough to cause a fundamental shift in how we approach any and everything that we're called to steward in our lives. Yeah, if everything that we have is not ours, but his that has been given to us, and we have been tasked with managing that, how does that fundamentally shift how you think about what you've got and what you're doing with what you've got? Allowing this truth to permeate into our identity as Christians is where it's at. This shouldn't just be something that's added on or an action that we try and you know, include in our habits. This is an identity. In 1 Peter 4 verse 10 it says, As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's a parable in Matthew 25 called the Parable of the Talents. And it has a wonderful plethora of concepts around stewardship that, that, that illuminate how God sees kingdom management and stewardship. And so I'm going to read through it really fast. And then I'm going to give you the summary bullet points from it. So, as you can see, that wall of text, we're going to get through it. I'm going to take a sip of water here. Preaching gives you cotton mouth instantly. 
For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to one, sorry, to another he gave one. A talent was a weight. It wasn't like Americans got talent, I can sing, dance, juggle with a cat on my head. But he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master came back and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five. Here I have made five more. And the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The same process happens with the second guy who has two. He made two more. He comes to the master. The master gives him the same commendation. Well done. I will give you more. Enter into my joy. The last one says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Question mark. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has more, or who has done well and been faithful, will be given an abundance. He will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, i.e. has not been faithful and has not done anything, even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into outer darkness, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are, we'll leave that up there, Dee. There are quite a few lessons and, and points in here to me that really illuminate kingdom management and being a steward. The first is that everything belongs to God. In the first sentence, we see that it says, it's like a man who went away and entrusted his wealth to his servants. Everything is his. Again, his to own, ours to manage. God has given every person something. He gave all of them a sum. He gave it according to their ability. He doesn't overwhelm you with something you cannot handle. He will give you what you are able to handle. Your ability can also change and grow, we see in that parable. God is coming back. God expects return on his investment. God is delighted with successful investments and productive business. Start small, and you see that the faithful are promoted. God's rewards are both temporal, well done, I will give you more to manage, and eternal, enter into the joy of your master. The consequences of poor stewardship are drastic and unpleasant. Jesus seems to take this really seriously. And there's a lot of scriptures that have a similar tone of seriousness to management. Some examples of where God may have invested his seed capital into you and into your life are time, your body, your physical body, your capacity to move, to make, to create, to carry heavy things, to nurture, to love, even to procreate and continue the human race. Your mind, the ability to relate, to commune, to teach, to learn, to explain, to understand, to share. Finances, your money, and your capacity to make money. 
your giftings, your unique God-given superpowers, like singing or dancing, or an incredible ability with numbers, or high intelligence in the scientific fields, or athletics. God has also invested in possessions. Everyone in this room has some possessions, whether it's a house, a car, some clothes, some toys, some tools, everyone has something. And we all have these things in differing amounts, but we all have something. There's a lie that you don't have anything to contribute or to be a steward of simply isn't true. Yeah, good. Don't tell me you don't have time, you do. Don't tell me you don't have finances, you do. It's just how are you managing them? Where are you spending them? How are you allocating them? Yeah, good and I think it's important as well to note that from that parable of the talents, one got five, one got two, one got one, but the only question he's asking at the end of the day is what did you do with what I gave to you? Yeah, it's not helpful to compare yourself to someone else. Because you're going to have more than someone, and you're going to have less than someone in whatever of these things are. Think of it like an EQ chart, and everyone's different. But he's asking, what have you done with what I give to you? And so I want to pause and ask us this question, and give us 10 or 20 seconds to close our eyes and take stock of this question. What has God given to you, and what are you doing with it? Yeah. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> this is the halfway point in my sermon, that's so I thought I'd give people a little breather and a little giggle. Um, he's stuck, look at him, he's doing his finances online. I want to touch on and focus in on the idea of financial stewardship. So obviously there's stewardship as like a general idea, right? We are called to be stewards across the board. But specifically, I want to speak about financial stewardship. I think that it's something that God's doing in our community, that we're excited about, and I think it's a real privilege. Richard Halverson writes, Jesus Christ said more about money than any other single thing, because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. If Christ is not the Lord over your money and your possessions, then he's not your Lord. I asked my dad, who's been a pastor for a lot of years, if he had any zingers in terms of finances. And <laughs> he likes to say, show me your checkbook and I'll show you where your treasure is. And he also said, uh, I can't remember who said it, but there's a quote about someone saying like, the last thing to be converted in the Christian conversion process is your wallet, because it's really tough. And I think Jesus knows what he's on about, and the fact that he speaks about this a lot, because it's an index to your true nature, and it correlates directly with your spiritual condition. There's a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and our actions concerning money and possessions. 
And think about this. Jesus has these expectations of how we handle finances. Think about how paramount it must be for those of us who live in the absolute upper echelons of wealth globally to approach money from a kingdom perspective. In the United States, our poverty level, our baseline, under, with, under which is considered poverty, exceeds the average standard of living in nearly every other society, past, present. That's insane. If you own, if you have sufficient food, you get to eat three meals a day. You have one outfit of clothing, you live in a shelter that protects you sufficiently from the elements, and you have some form of reliable transport, you're in the top 15% of humanity. 85% of the 8 billion, you're up here in the top 15. If you have some savings in your bank account, you have multiple outfits of clothing, which I hope we all do, because that would be tough. Maybe you own a home and you have two vehicles. Congrats, you have upgraded into the top 5% of all living humanity in terms of wealth. That's 40 million people in the sea of 8 billion people. That's the, that's the population of California, that's what we're in. And because we're in Orange County, realistically, these figures are based on the US average. Orange County average is higher. California average is higher. So we're probably in the top 3%, 2%. And, I, and I, I was cut as I thought about this, and I asked myself, maybe if we've been positioned here and now as the believers in God's church, maybe we've been positioned here because we have an incredible opportunity to be generous and to give to the other 95% of the world. What makes that difficult? What makes generosity difficult? What can make financial stewardship difficult? Is the fact that we are born into a system of finances, the Babylonian system as some preachers call it. Called such because it traces its origins back into Genesis to a fellow named King Nimrod, whose name meant let us rebel, and who went on to set up the Tower of Babel so that they could elevate themselves to the stars whom they worshipped. They were anti-God. This empire also later goes on to destroy and take captive Israel, basically lay it to waste. And it also becomes biblically the symbol of satanic government and power, the evil rulership of earth. And the CEO and founder of said system, Satan himself. <laughs> I own and run a creative agency, and so I forced one of my employees <laughs> to create a mock-up advertising the business card of Satan. As you can see, his telephone number is 6666666. Satan is strategic. It's shipped off of Satan. It's very distracting. It's a beautiful business card, by the way. If anyone needs business cards, <laughs> Satan is strategic and he is aggressive. Yeah. He does not want you to be a biblical manager, a, a kingdom manager or steward. He has systems and strategies in place to bind you up and make you unfruitful. Because if he cannot take your soul, which he can't, he, his next best move is to just make you completely unfruitful. Yeah. 
And if we think about the parable of the soils, the third soil, which my business mentor likes to say is most of people in the world, or in the church, the, the seed falls onto what seems like fertile soil and it pops up in growth and very quickly it's choked by the thorns of wealth and the cares of this world. That's a, that's a satanic strategy. In this system, the Babylonian system, you work in order to earn and you earn in order to keep and in order to amass personal wealth. You are a dead end of selfish acquisition. And in this system, money is your metric of success and therefore it becomes your master. But as believers, we are called to a different system. Matthew 26 says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 1 Timothy 6 says, For the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We are called into a different system. To illustrate this system in a simple way, there are two little parables that I want to pull up. The one is that of the wise widow, who gives her two little copper coins. The other is that of the rich fool. So, kingdom system. Mark 12, we see that there is a widow, which means that she's an, she's an elderly lady, her husband has passed away, she's alone. She feels called to give to the church her two copper coins, and it's everything that she has. And Jesus calls her out and says, look, disciples, this lady gave more than anyone else. And an economist would say, well, that's just categorically wrong. She didn't give more than anyone else because that guy just gave $2,000 and she gave $2. So what are you talking about? It's the heart that matters in the kingdom system. The money, is the, the money is not the metric. The numbers are not the metric. Jesus is not as phased with the money as he is with the heart. Yeah. In the Babylonian system, in Luke 12, we read about a rich fool who has a really good harvest, and so he says to himself, I am going to tear down my old barns, I'm going to build new, much bigger barns, so that I can store all of this abundance, so that I can basically retire. It says, eat, drink, and be merry, and enjoy the rest of my life. Sounds a little bit like the American dream. And I think most of us would say, good on you, well done, dude, that's awesome. Like, you're successful, enjoy life, I wish and hope that I could do the same one day. What does Jesus say to that man? He says, you fool. Oh. Wow, Jesus, okay. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then, who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Okay, that's intense. I was preparing this, and me and Dan were chatting, and I was like, Jesus is so intense sometimes. <laughs> You fool! <laughs> Gosh, okay, I'm sorry. 
something interesting to think about with the kingdom story of the, the, the wise widow. How close was Jesus to the offering box peeping at like what people were putting in? He's close enough to tell that it was copper coins. He's close enough to tell how much it was. And he's close enough to tell how much other people were putting in. And that should make anyone who feels that what they do with their own money is their business and no one else's very uncomfortable because Jesus makes it pretty clear. He's like, actually, this is my business. I have business looking at what you do with what I have given you. If I have provided you this provision, what are you doing? And he won't apologize for watching with intense interest what you do with the money he's invested in you. If Jesus were to gather his disciples and look at your life, what would the lesson be that he would be saying to his disciples? Look at Stu. Who does? That's a fun, fun little thought there. We have a scarcity of wise widows and a surplus of rich fools. And our culture idolizes rich fools. And we have to break our agreement with that idolatry. Yeah, good word. And step into a different kingdom. Good word. A different economy. This book. The Law of Rewards by Randy Alcorn is a really good book. My business mentor mentioned it to me and I bought it and I've started reading it and it's incredible and I would suggest that everyone reads it. I'm going to read the introduction from this book for you guys, which is speaking about the kingdom economy and how it differs. And it's talking about investing, not divesting. What's the biggest misconception? Misconception. Wow, that, uh, that, that one's really getting me. What's the biggest misconception that Christians have about giving? It's that when we give money away to the church or to ministry or to help the needy, it's gone. While we hope that others benefit from it, we're quite sure that we won't. We think that we're divesting ourselves of money, disassociating from it. Once it leaves our hands, we imagine it has no connection to us, no future implications relevant to our lives. We couldn't be more wrong. What we think we own will be rudely taken from us, some of it before we die, and anything that's left the moment we die. But now is our window of opportunity not to divest ourselves of money, but to invest it in heaven. We don't have to have everything taken away from us. We can give it before disaster or death strike. Now is our chance to give what we cannot keep in order to gain what we cannot lose. We are God's money managers, and He wants us to invest His money in His kingdom. He tells us that He's keeping track of every cup of cold water that we give the needy in His name. He promises us that He will reward us in heaven because we help the poor or the needy who cannot pay us back for what we've done for them. We can buy up shares in God's kingdom. We can invest in eternity. You see, many Christians don't give. Others determine to do their part, but they sigh deeply before writing a check to their church or their ministry. They give strictly out of a sense of duty or obligation. And whilst it's better to give out of duty than not to give at all, how sad that they miss out on the joy that comes when you understand God's law of returns. One of our biggest problems is that we forget that earth is not our home. And so we waste our lives pouring ourselves out and our money out into what will go up in smoke in the end. Meanwhile, God offers us the opportunity to experience a down payment of joy, 
the delight that comes today in doing what you know God wants and anticipating hearing Him say to you tomorrow, well done. Kingdom rewards are a thing. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 19, in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And he quoted from Jim Elliot, who is a missionary, this line, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Yes, our greatest treasure is Christ, absolutely. Paul says in Philippians, when I compare the treasure of knowing Christ, everything else just seems worthless. It seems ridiculous in comparison. But the rewards that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 are real, and they are promises, and they are treasures too, and He expects us to desire them. They are healthy, godly, righteous motivations. God, Jesus, offers us an incredible opportunity to trade temporary goods and possessions for eternal rewards. And then, instead of moving away from our treasure, if it's here on earth, with every passing day we're moving toward our treasure that we get to enjoy for eternity. You see, God has an eternal investment mindset. A.W. Tozer writes, any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. John Wesley writes, I value all things only by the price that they shall give in eternity. David Livingston, I place no value on anything that I possess except in relationship to the kingdom of God. In 1 Timothy 6, he writes, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen. Church, we are those rich. Yes. That scripture is talking to us. Okay, I'm a practical person, and when I hear a sermon, I instantly think, what do I do with this knowledge? And so I wanted to give us some practical applications because I, I, faith is a journey, right? And we're all at different points in a journey. If we all lined up and there was some kind of scale on the floor and we could show where we were in our faith journey, we are all over the map. We're not in a straight line. We're all in different places. But what I have faith for and what I'm excited for is understanding and growing in this thing. I want everyone that's hearing this and part of this community now to take one step forward. Yeah. One step forward in your understanding of kingdom stewardship. One step forward in your practice of the discipline of kingdom management. Yeah. This doesn't happen by accident. If you think that one day you're going to accidentally fall into being a generous person, you're not. I can help you right now. You're not. <laughs> Write that down. Right? <laughs> I am currently undergoing a massive life transformation. I did myself both the service and disservice of hiring 
Kingdom Business Coaches. And it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life because these guys are just on at me all the time about personal discipline. And I'm like, guys, let's talk about my business. And they're like, yes, how did you sleep last night? And I'm like, what are you talking about? My business. They're like, yes, are you exercising? <laughs> business. Okay, how much time are you getting in the Word on a daily basis? How's your relationship with your wife? How's your relationship with your children? Are you finding time to rest? And I'm like, what am I paying you for? <laughs> I get that for free at church. But it's amazing to me the fruit that is coming with a simple management of my personal disciplines, of my mind, body, spirit, and soul. And so here are five things that you can do as, as a community that you can step into tonight or tomorrow but it requires intentional effort. One, read scripture, read your Bible, go to the source. Our understanding of kingdom economy comes from the scripture. Yeah. It comes from God and it comes from his men and women that have written down his word and his understanding of the world. We need to daily be ingesting the truth of God's kingdom. So do a Bible study on finances or stewardship or wealth or money. Jesus talks about it a lot. There's no shortage of scriptures that you're going to find. Read the law of rewards. Shameless plug for Randy Alcorn. Never met him, but he seems pretty cool. Find a mentor. Or like me, pay for a mentor. Because I couldn't find one for free. <laughs> and they keep telling me, Stu, what you're paying us is an investment. And I'm like, ah, okay. This doesn't change how much it is. They're like, this is not an expense, it's an investment. And I'm like, okay, but I'm coming around. They are different things. An expense and an investment are different. They really are. Go to the source. Number two, audit your finances. And I don't mean like a tax financial audit, like that sounds boring and horrible. What I mean is at the very least, open your bank statement and look at the charges. Make a mental note of what's clearly kingdom-oriented or what's clearly self-oriented. Better yet, make a spreadsheet or a document and look through your monthly spending. Again, how much is being invested into kingdom-oriented things and how much is just going to waste? Or how much is worse than that, going into unholy stuff? There are three buckets that I use to process, and this is again from my wonderful mentors. This is a little matrix that you can use to process any decision in life. Three buckets, unholy, neutral, holy. So let's say unholy use of your finances is purchasing a car that you cannot afford or buying a subscription to a pornography website because you're directly contributing to evil. Not with the car, but with the pornography. A neutral spend of your money might be buying a donut. That might be holy, but we'll see. <laughs> I could be holy if tweaked correctly. For me, when I think about it in business, one of our clients is a donut shop, and I'm like, that's kind of a neutral space. Like, they're not contributing to human slavery or doing anything horrific. Like, they're making donuts, and that's neutral. Holy. And that would be taking your finances, tithing it into the church, supporting a mission, funding a ministry that's translating the Bible into unknown languages and unreaching unreached people groups, and that is holy. 
And I'm constantly asking myself as a business owner and as a, as, a, as a man and a leader, how can I take things out of unholy bucket, out of neutral bucket, and shift them all towards holy bucket? I want as many things in the holy bucket at the end of the day as possible. Three, ask God. A simple prayer, Lord, thank you for this provision. What do you want me to do with it? Yeah, good work. It's a real simple one. And we have done this many times. The true reason that Chris asked, I think Chris asked me to speak on this is that I have seen God's provision in my life in an unbelievable way year after year after year after year, and I have chosen to participate in that in an unbelievable way. I fundamentally go back to this principle that you cannot outgive God, and that if you are generous, he will always bring it back to you. In fact, he actually commands us to test him on that. And we'll get to that in a second. But just simply asking God, what do you want me to do with this, does two things. One, it fundamentally switches your position on how you think about what you have. It, it realigns your brain with the fact that this is not yours to own. It's his to own. It's yours to manage. And secondly, it opens up the opportunity for you to do any number of wonderful things. We have felt God call us to give stuff away. Finances, cars, guitars, things that I love and are dear to me, watches, clothing, whatever it is. When you ask, I've never asked God, what should I do with this? And he, and he hasn't answered. He always answers. He's always wanting to bless. Yeah. He's always wanting to blow someone else's socks off. Good, good. And we have also been the recipients of that blessing. Yeah. And nothing builds up your faith like being in the hour of need and another believer in your community comes through and says, hey, God told me to give you this. Yeah. Yeah. When we were looking to purchase our house, which praise God we were able to do about a year ago, we had been saying for years to the Lord, we would love a house. We don't need a house. We are happy to rent, but we would love a house. It would be fantastic, Lord. We put it in your hands. And he kept saying to Dana on her prayer walks when she would bring it up, trust me, do you trust me, do you trust me? And she just kept saying again and again and again. And so after years and years and years of working our tails off and saving, we finally had enough of a deposit to put down on a house which would empower us to get a house. And in the 11th hour, with the deal that was on the table, that's a deal that you don't want to let go of in Costa Mesa at this current time, we felt God ask us, I want you to tithe on your deposit. I want you to take 10% of your deposit and I want you to give it away. Thus meaning you don't have enough for your deposit. So there's the house, this dream that we've wanted ahead of us. We have what we need and God's like, I'm going to test you. <laughs> give 10% of this away so that this is only in my grace that you get this yeah. and not in your strength. I'm not joking when about a week, maybe more later, someone else in the community came to us and said, we feel that God wants us to bless you with X amount of money, and it was to the dollar, yeah. the exact same amount that we had given away. Unbelievable. In that moment, all of your doubts of like, is God real? Just give me a sign, or just vanish. Yeah. And you're just like, God, it's real. <laughs> Let me hit the streets and like tell people, like, you got me a house. I'm like talking to all of the people that are in the process of our house thing, and I'm like, this is such a God deal. And they're like, uh huh. <laughs> just sign this paper. I'm like, God came through. We've seen in our little community group 
such incredible examples of God's provision. People stepping up on behalf of others and covering unexpected bills and giving them things that they need and showing up when they need it, giving their time, giving their finances, giving their possessions to meet need. And I think of the Acts Church where it says that they had no needs among them. They took their possessions, their investments, their inheritances, and they cashed them in and they distributed it amongst the people so that there was no need among them. Ask God, what do you want me to do with this? Four, tithe. Malachi 3 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. This is the only thing in all of Scripture that God says, put me to the test. I invite you to test me. Tithing. Taking 10% of what He has given you and giving it back to God. Everything that we do here costs money. This building costs money to rent. The staff costs money to pay. When we do outreach, it costs money. When we host Alpha, it costs money. When we put on anything, everything that we want to do as a community has a financial cost to it. And we want to do radical things as Genesis Costa Mesa, as a community, but we cannot without the resources. And the resources don't come from the small and incredibly generous leadership team. It comes from you. And it actually comes from God, but it's given to you to flow through you. Yeah. If you're sitting on the provision that God has given you for this community, you are not only robbing and withholding from God, but you are robbing and withholding from all of us, and mostly from yourself. Because you have an opportunity to invest. If this is your home community and you want to see the gospel go out, through this community and you want to be raised up and trained and taught and grow and be in community and be loved and be able to serve and be able to give, then you need to bring what you have and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Tithing is a baseline, in my opinion. This is fundamental baseline of Christianity. If you are a Christian and you are in a local church, you tithe to that local church. If you are at that ministry and you are benefiting from that ministry and you are arriving and partaking and consuming week after week, then you give. If you are part of this family, then you give. It's not generosity in my book to tithe. It's fundamental obedience to God. And He has blown my socks off with how He provides, but I've always tithed. My parents taught me this from age five, and I have always tithed my whole life. Giving is over and above tithing. That's the more. Yeah. That's the, you give your tithe. I don't even think about it. Just comes straight out of my bank account, straight into the church account. And after that, I ask God, here's some more that I'm setting aside. What do you want me to do with it? I challenge you to tithe. If you're not tithing because you're worried that there's not going to be enough, let me call you to a vision of faith in a Jesus who is our provider. He will bountifully provide. He will never let you lack. He says it straight up and plain. Bring your tithe that there may be food in this house. Test me. See if I will not open up and let it overflow a blessing in your life. It's actually a very exciting prospect. If you don't tithe yet, man, you're in for a treat. 
Four, practice generosity. Five, practice generosity. Like I said earlier, this is intentional. It requires work. It is a practice. You're not going to fall into generosity. It's not going to happen by accident. You have to intentionally practice it. And yes, it should be coming out of faith. Faith comes by hearing, which you're doing right now. When you read your scripture, that's going to lead to faith. Faith is going to well up inside of you. It's a work of God. It's a work of His Spirit. From that faith, we step into faithfulness. We do. We are active. We go out. We put it to the test. And from that faithfulness, we bear fruit. So the next time you're out at coffee with a friend, pick up the bill. Challenge yourself. How about sending your mom a voucher, telling her how much you love her and how much you're thankful for her? Buy someone who is experiencing homelessness lunch and sit with them and share the gospel and ask them their name, what they might need. Donate to a missionary. Support those who are out in the world risking their necks and their lives to share the gospel of Jesus with unreached people groups. Choose a kingdom organization and donate monthly. Or set aside a monthly sum and simply ask God what you want to do with it. That's something that me and Dee do as well. We tithe and then we set aside a monthly sum in our budget and we regularly ask God, what do you want to do with this? It's good. When I was praying for our community with this message, I asked God, what do you want to say specifically to our people? And I felt like he said this, the little that you have is not little in my hands. Yeah, good. And I think about the feeding of the 5,000. Wow. They feed 5,000 people and they have a lunchbox. One kid's lunchbox. And they feed 5,000 people. You know, I would be ashamed to be like, you know what, I can feed these 5,000 people. I have one lunchbox. Like, let's go. Your little, your perceived little, is not little in the hands of Jesus. It's power in the hands of Jesus. God is continually using the small, the weak, and the few to change history. And we dream incredibly big, but we start small. We start with what we have. Remember the parable of the talents? He gives according to your ability. You start there. And if we start here, and we are responsible managers of his kingdom assets now, and we meet the needs, and we are able to bless, and we are able to serve, what else does God have in store for us as a community? I'm super, super excited with where we can go here. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your incredible provision. I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh, that you say of yourself you are a provider, that we can trust in you. You tell us not to worry. Don't be anxious. Look at the birds of the sky and the the, the flowers in the fields, look how they're clothed in splendor. They're not anxious. Don't worry. How much more do I know you? How much more do I love you? And so, God, I pray that we as a church would open our hands, soften our hearts, and be receptive to your call to be kingdom stewards and managers. I thank you for the privilege that it is to manage your investment. I thank you that you have provided to each and every single one of us, and I pray simply that you would show us how to use it in a way that honors you and brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name.